Broadcasting to the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital in Stanmore. This is Radio Broccoli. You're listening to the SCT Hour on Radio Broccoli. The SCT Hour is a chance to be inspired by patients and hear about their experiences of dealing with sarcoma, their diagnosis, their treatment and life beyond. We speak to the wonderfully talented surgeons, clinical nurse specialists, physios and other healthcare professionals based here at the RNOH. We'll hear the amazing fundraising stories from people who enable us to continue to do so much of our work. We rely entirely on donations, so we're really thankful to them. We talk to the people leading the research, groundbreaking research, uh, based here again at the RNOH, but also at University College London. Coming up on today's programme, we're going to be speaking to Joe Buonaghini. Joe's been uh, a long supporter of our charity uh, and I'm hoping she'll have lots to tell us about her time with us but before all of that we're going to have our first song we're going to have Fleetwood Mac Little Lies You're listening to the SCT Hour on Radio Broccoli with me Sarah Wright Today I'm joined by Joe Buonagidi and Joe has been supporting SCT uh, for a number of years now, mainly through her love of art um, and her generous gifts to us through designing our Christmas cards. Um, that's how I've, I've got to know Joe. But today I've asked her to come in and talk to us about her diagnosis. Um, her journey uh, to, to this hospital and how she's she's come here and also to understand a bit more about how she got involved in her art and, and it's played a really huge positive uh, impact in her life. So we're going to start off today, uh, Joe, with a song that you've chosen and this is a song that you would say you would dedicate to your lovely husband Franco who's here today to watch us. We're waving at him through the glass now. Um, so this is a song that I think most people would certainly recognise. We've got a few today that people might not recognise, but I certainly know this one. And it's What a Difference a Day Makes by Diana Washington. That was What a Difference a Day Makes by Diana Washington. So welcome, Joe. Hello. Thank you so much for coming in to speak to us. I think you're such a wonderful person to talk to so I wanted to share you with everybody I wasn't going to keep you for myself um, so can you tell us a bit about how you came to get your diagnosis yes well it was back in 1985 and I thought I had water on the knee um, I was playing a game with my stepson and I kind of fell and the pain was excruciating so that really forced me to go to the doctor because I'd been putting it off, just thinking, oh, this will get better. Um, and when I went to the doctor, they said, go and have an X-ray straight away. And um, I remember clearly that on the NHS, that was going to take two weeks at that point. So my husband said, look, we've got the private medical care, um, use that. So I went straight away and had an x-ray done and that was on a, a Friday 
and you know came home thinking not very much really and then on the Saturday lunchtime uh, there was a ring at the front doorbell and there was a man there who I'd never seen before and he said uh, may I come in um, I have to tell you that your x-rays show you have a bone tumour I was standing on the front doorstep and my stepchildren and my own son who were all very young were in the kitchen having lunch and I was on my ho- on my own my husband was working mm. in his restaurant that was all really unbelievably shocking and you know after that things moved incredibly quickly yeah. um our GP turned up on the doorstep with a pair of crutches pretty quickly because they said that the bone was quite thin and Gosh. I shouldn't walk on it. And it was a bank holiday weekend. I don't know about you, but crises always happen yeah. over bank Why holidays. <laughs> Why is that? So um, I was taken to a local... I was seen by an orthopaedic surgeon at a local uh, private hospital. And the first... My tumour was a giant cell tumour. Um, so the first thing that was done was a, a bone graft. They removed the tumour. Gosh. They took bone from my pelvis, front and back, and from my shin bone. It was a six-hour operation. Wow. And then, you know, recovery, 13 weeks in a cast. and With these three young children at with home. With these three yeah. young children. And um, obviously, very quickly, we had to get help. Yeah. to do that because Franca was working and then in the September I kind of knew that the tumour had come back and I know this sounds bizarre but I had a pain in my big toe and when I'd previously had the problem I'd had to stop playing tennis because I had a terrible pain in my big toe yeah, nothing near the really tumour recognised that yeah. yeah so I went back to see the surgeon and um, my I have various guardian angels in my life. Mm -hmm. But my husband owned a restaurant in Chelsea and he fed a lot of doctors and uh, consultants. And uh, one of them said to Franco, Joe must go and see Professor Sweetnam at the Middlesex. And really that was where you know everything changed and um where i first met mr cannon another guardian angel and um i went mm, what happened i had a biopsy there at the middlesex hospital in the january or february and um mr sweetenham who was supposed to be doing the procedure was called away to some big conference or something in um, America. And I was devastated. And I remember, I think I cried for about three days because I just thought, oh, this is awful. You know, what's going to happen well, now? my surgeon, yeah. Yes, what's <laughs> going to happen now? So I first met Mr. Cannon with my eyes looking like a complete bullfrog. And he had the really difficult task of telling me that they may have to amputate my leg. And this is Mr. Cannon, who is the chairman of our charity, of SCT, who I have a a flip side of your story coming up. Right, Yeah, but you keep going, and I'll come to it in a minute. Um, So I, I clearly remember that conversation. 
he explained to me how these tumours sometimes were, even though mine was benign. Gosh, it must have been so difficult. So how old were you at that point? <sighs> well, it was 1984, so I was about 34. Yeah, 34, so 30, really yeah, young, yeah. with your young children, being yes. told that you might have to have an amputation. Yes. Having been to a, you know, I mean, things are different now. If somebody, if a GP suspects anything to do with a tumour, you are sent to one of the specialist centres yes. in, in the country, you know, Stanmore, yes. Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital being one of those five centres. Um, so that's quite different, isn't it, to your experience? Yes, and, um, you know, perhaps if I hadn't had private medical cover, maybe that would have happened then. Mm, maybe. But oh. for the speed of it all and... Um, Anyway, from you know, when Mr. Cannon told me that, he also explained that there is, there was then, you know, this new because it was relatively mm. new, and he was, they were working with a gentleman who was called Professor Scales, and I actually spoke to Professor Scales. I never actually met him, but I believe that he was a complete pioneer. Yeah, you were a guinea pig. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he explained to me, Professor Scales said to me, you were a dancer and you've got sway back legs and we will make your prosthesis so that the, there is a certain amount of sway back. So it was really custom made yeah. for you, wasn't it? Absolutely. I've still got it. Oh, even that's though incredible. I'm on, I should have bought it in today. You should have. Even though I've, we could have I'm taken it over to Stanmore yes. Implants. They would have been really pleased to see it over there. <laughs> Next time, yeah. I'll bring it with me. I'll bring it with me. Um, so you had this... Uh, knee replacement yes effectively with, with in the May Mr. Cannon. that was in the May with Mr Cannon yes and um, I always remember that uh, very clearly that I woke up and although I had operative pain I didn't have the bone pain anymore yeah so that, that was, was gone really good yeah um, you know the things you remember are, are, are strange but I remember um I, at that point, they said, we're not going to let you home until you can bend this knee 90 degrees. And, of course, I couldn't do it. And I go, oh, God, is this ever going to happen? But I, I would imagine you were pretty determined. I, can, uh, I, I yes. think you would have been a good patient. You, yes, know, you would have I really tried to get to yes, where definitely. they wanted you to get yes. you to. Yes, definitely. And I, uh, this is another memory. Um, there was a lovely nurse at the Middlesex and I was just hankering for a bacon sandwich <laughs> and she said I'll bring you a bacon sandwich in tomorrow morning so the next morning she came and she arrived with this bacon Aww. sandwich the smell was absolutely wonderful <laughs> da da arrives Mr Cannon with his team you know running behind him I'm going to take your stitches out he said no I've got a bacon sandwich <laughs> <laughs> the bacon sandwich had to get, be left oh, to congeal on the side. No. But anyway. So yeah. the flip side of that, that lovely story is um, Mr Cannon recently um, was asked to uh, do a radio show on BBC, uh, a BBC programme. And this lovely lady's interviewing him and talking about his career and how he got into surgery and, and orthopaedics and particularly sarcomas and, and, and tumours. And she said, do you remember the first person that you operated on? 
and I'm listening to this and he said I do yes he said I won't mention her name because you know I haven't asked her to to say that Um, but I do remember her and he described a little bit about about this person and as soon as I I'd listened to it I called him and I said who was the person who was it who was the first person you operated on for for that particular type of, of, uh, of of surgery he said it was Joe, and I said, "Oh, I knew it! I knew it was her." Um, so yeah, he remembers that, you know, clearly. just as clearly as you do. I had no idea that that was his first operation. Mm. I think he'd he'd mm. operated before, but this was the first one. I think he was fully in charge of it. Certainly, this is the one that mm. that sticks in his memory. Amazing. So isn't that lovely? Well, it lasted for twenty-two years. Yeah, it was a it was a good yeah. good bit of kit. Exactly. I had the washers changed a few times. Oh yes, there, yeah, that's know, quite as common. As they do, um, and then in two thousand and nine, he said, "I can't do that again. We'll have to give you a new one." And I said, "Okay." When he did the first one, he left my leg a little bit short. Oh. So with the second one, I said, "Okay, you know, time to give me back. Yeah. You know, time to make this right." <laughs> so, he did a really good job, and yeah, he did more or less. Now both of my legs are the same. Oh, he is a genius. He, he is, really absolutely. is. Absolutely, he yeah. is very nice man. And your um, next sort of bit of your uh, journey then takes you through to how you got into your love of art, which is is going to bring us on to how you know we we've come to get, to get to know each other so well. Um, So I think before we go into that, we'll have a piece of music because this will lead nicely into, you know, what you what happens in your story next. So um, we'll have um, Pink Martini, Una Notte in Napoli. Una Notte in Napoli. In cielo mi portò. That was Pink Martini, Unote in Napoli. I hope I've pronounced very that good, right. Very good. You're listening to Radio Broccoli, and this is the SCT Hour with me, Sarah Wright. Now, if you want to request songs when you're listening to, to our shows, you can always do that on radiobroccoli.org website, and we're always open for requests. Likewise, if you want to hear more about our charity or read more about what we do, you can look at our website, which is skeletalcancertrust.org. So, Joe, that's really sort of how you came to s- sort of go through something that you then found another passion. Am I right? Did, were you interested in painting and art and things before all of this, or did it? How did that come about? Okay, well, I wasn't terribly bright at school, but I did get an A for art. Oh, <laughs> there my, was the first clue. One of my three GCSEs. <laughs> um, I, yes, I come from an artistic family. My mother was a portrait painter. My oh, wow. dad, and, you know, we're all creative. But um, taking up painting was um, a coincidence, but also a kind of conscious thought because I did think well if ever I did have to have my leg amputated then painting was something a hobby that you could still do. Mm. So that was always in the back of your mind that you, you might come back that you might have yes, amputation. Even now if I go for an x-ray I get nervous. I think everybody listening yes. who still comes for their yearly checks would yes. say that exact same thing yeah. Yeah. 
So that was my thought because previously, you know, I was a dancer. I was sporty. Physical activity and movement was very much a part of my life. And um, so not being able to do mm. that anymore because the prosthesis now, you can probably do more of that. But mine just literally bent forwards and back yeah. and that was it. There was no rotation. So I was looking in an art shop window one Saturday morning and I saw an advertisement for watercolour classes on a Saturday morning. And I thought, okay, I can do that now. Yeah. My son's of an age, he looks after himself. And so I started doing that. I was very fortunate because my teacher was one who said, just do it, just experiment, just waste paper, which suited me down to the ground because I'm not very disciplined. And it, it became something I did more and more. And then I guess the dancing came out and my friend who was doing line dancing um, said, why don't you come and watch? And so I said, well, why don't I try and draw that? I had no idea what would come out. So you went along really to care. the line dancing class and with your paper yeah. and your paints. Yeah, no, just the paper actually just then the paper. And, a, and a pen. And uh, I just don't... The pen kind of danced them with the music on the paper. That's jumble, but that's what happened. Wow. So then I took it home and with a little bit of water, smudged the paint, the pen in the way the movement would have been. And just really loads grew from there. And then I, I took a studio at Wimbledon Art Studios and having the space to really let your creativity go made a big difference. Gosh. So I would go into the studio, I'd put the music on, and I'm not in Napoli, and all sorts of, you know, really strong things. Um, and the work would come through the music. The figures would dance through the music. And uh, they'd come out of my head, mostly. I, I'm, I'm so uncreative I can't imagine this I mean I've seen your art so I know how wonderful it is but it's just such an alien concept to me I don't know I think it just came out you know it was almost this is a bit of a cliche but it was never part of a designed structured thought process okay and um I know that I, I could never hold on to a particular line of style very long. It always had to grow and grow evolve, and rumble on yeah. and evolve. And it ended up really quite um, abstract. And people who love music and dancing see my abstract pictures straight away. Yeah. Other people don't quite get it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then the other thing that has always given me pleasure during my art, um, when I started to exhibit, I started to make cards, greeting cards, for yes. the exhibitions so that um, they were handmade and they sold quite well and they helped to all your, towards your gallery expenses. Yeah. And so presumably, you know, people could buy smaller versions yes, of, of what you were painting what picture, but again exactly. affordable so everyone yes, gets to enjoy yes. that art don't they and then people would say to me um 
you know, IKEA do a little frame with three windows know, in, yeah. and it just so happened the size that I printed off these cards would fit in those windows. And people said to me, oh, "I framed your cards, oh. you know," and, and that just gives me so much pleasure. And it's something I've carried on doing, and you know, hence when you said to me, "Would you like to?" Would I like to? I absolutely <laughs> love to. You know, it was. It's a treat to do this. Oh, it's such a uh, such an amazing thing I I have really really enjoyed putting the Christmas cards mm. together with you because I mean I'm as I said I'm, I'm not I'm not artistic but you know the whole process of you coming along with you know your beautiful images and saying you know what do you think that that, that the SCT supporters would like to see on their Christmas mm. cards that they'd like to send out for, for for each year and it's really lovely to be involved in that process having not had to make the art itself you know <laughs> just have to help make a decision it was quite a learning process for us wasn't yeah, it, it was. because it's the really printing although i had experience of dealing with the printers and all that sort of thing and then the change of the logo came along yes. at the same time and yeah, it was getting right. all that right um yeah, we'll get better at it. Oh no, it's 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 <laughs> wonderful. And so to to keep on the theme of all your your artwork, um I think we'll have our next song because this is I think just it talks about how creative you are and again that process that you go through in your studio. So we're going to have next um Riot um from Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. That was Riot by Slum, well, from Slumdog Millionaire. And um, just whilst we were listening to that, Joe, you were explaining to me how you, how that music influences your painting. And you've just told me that you would hit your paintbrush to the beat of that music, beat this paintbrush vigorously onto your paper. No, no, to, against my finger. Against your, against your finger, to then hit the paper and would break blood vessels in your <laughs> finger in the name of your art. This is, uh, this is why I won't go that far. I haven't got that kind of dedication. Um, but how did you far, first start listening to Slumdog Millionaire as a, a soundtrack yeah. to your art? We'd been to see the film, and it's just such a fantastic film. A and film. we'd also been to India, and that is such an extraordinarily vibrant experience. India is just full on and colour and and I think it was we came back and we went to see Slumdog Millionaire and then I was in my studio and um, a man uh, phoned me and he said, can I come and have a look at your work at the studio? And so I said, yes, sure. So I hung up a few things because usually it was a mess. And this is a funny story. They'd actually been to a charity art auction the night before, yeah. and his wife had wanted to get my painting. During the evening, she hadn't felt very well, and they had left a bid with the auctioneer and gone, and they didn't get it. Oh. So they tracked me down, and they said, could they come and have a look at my work? So they came to my studio, and I'd hung these pieces out, and when they were there, they didn't really look, terribly enthusiastic and I just thought oh, well this is alright and then he said to his wife have you chosen and she said yes 
she said I'd like that one and he said okay and he turned to me and he said and I'll have that one that one that one and that one when they left I was so happy I was like (laughs) flying and I had two blank canvases and I plugged the earphones in and I put on this slumdog millionaire soundtrack and I did these two canvases of just lines dancing and then I put red shoes and in the air there were little red lips and a few eyelashes and things like that. Sounding familiar. And it was just happiness on in paint. Really. Oh that's such a lovely yeah. story. And so yeah music is absolutely a part of my painting. Um, very important. Uh, and do you know, is that the same for lots of artists? Have you come across people who find that um, that's I the think, same for yeah. them? Or? Well, people get inspiration from, from different things. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's the same for other artists. It, it may be, but um, no, to me, dancing, fun and music are definitely... And have you still got those two paintings? No, no, they sell? sold straight Always, away. Did they? Yeah, straight away. That's and, amazing. Yeah, and then I, I've done others. And, and, yeah, people always say they just make us feel happy. Well, that's brilliant because it's made me... It, it saw me through some very difficult years. Yeah. Um, and my Franco, my husband, has always been very, very long-suffering. You know, is are we going to have dinner tonight? You know? <laughs> No, I'm still creating. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the iron, ironing is sort of climbing up the wall. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know he does a good a good dinner because yes. I've, I've, I've sampled his cooking, so I know he could have gone and made it for himself, really. Um, so there's another lovely story that I'd like you to tell us about, um, about a certain Mr. Cannon, Steve Cannon, uh, who you like to call Mr. C. Yeah. Um, so you didn't see him again for some years after your... No, when, when um, after I'd had the prosthesis put in at the Middlesex, you know, you start with the three monthly checks, the six monthly checks, and I think I probably saw him for a couple of those checks. And then as time went by, it was the National Health Service, so other registrars came in and, and took over and I didn't see him again. And um, I was lucky because all was going well. There was no need for an operation at that point. And I don't know how many years it was later. Could have been about 10, because I think he did the first revision after 10 years of the washers. Anyway, so we were coming back from a holiday in Spain and we were on a flight. And as as the plane landed and I got up to take my hand luggage out of the overhead locker I turned around and there was Mr Cannon with his family and they'd also been to Spain and I looked at him and I said you're Mr Cannon aren't you and he looked at me and he said yes and I can't remember but I have a feeling he looked and knew straight away you know he was thinking yes you know osteosarcoma lower left whatever yeah he he acted absolutely would remember the most weird thing i don't understand it i'm really good with faces and i can remember people but if you mention a name to not just mr cannon any of the surgeons they'll tell you exactly what Mm. operation they did what they removed what they put back in or didn't they just remember everybody and i can't i can't you can't imagine that but that's how 
personal each person yeah. is to them that they remember everybody it's it so that doesn't surprise me that he remembered you I love I still love it I love yes, that he remembered yes. you and, and and then I went back to see him and I think Mr. Cannon, I knew him for nine, well, I still know him now, Yes. but I was his patient for 30-odd years. So right from when he was a registrar yeah. to when he retired. I would say that for 90% of the time, I had no idea, other than I thought he was the greatest thing on yes. earth, that actually he was the, great, the he, greatest no, thing he really that. he still is and the greatest he yeah. was it wasn't until i saw him on the television um that after the 9-11 bombings they had done something here at stanmore incredibly special for a particular patient to do with her arm and he was on the sofa on the red sofa discussing this operation oh, that wow. had and then i started to realize you know this is, you know, he's amazing. I knew he was amazing. No, I no. always had this secret thought that he'd gone into revision surgery for me. Actually. Oh, that's so. Nice. Yeah, maybe he did. <laughs> well, so that he'd be able to, you know, redo that later on. But I think this is the measure of the man. I think he made every single one of his patients feel yeah. like that. Oh, I, I'm, I'm convinced. Yeah. I don't think there is anyone that you don't mention that name about him and I've said it I'm, I'm sure I've said it on one of the previous episodes of this he came in recently um, and I walked him sort of around to go and get a coffee and then we walked back every corridor that we walked through because mm. he's retired now mm. everywhere we went staff were coming up to him saying oh Mr Cannon and they wanted to shake his hand mm. and they wanted to give him yeah. a cuddle and he gave time to every single I mean yeah. it took us a while to get to the coffee shop and yeah. back but it's just lovely. Every, just like you say, he makes everybody feel so, yes. and and I gen, that's so genuine. Yes. He he really does Absolutely. care about everybody. That is just the man. And all of his patients. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's a, just a lovely, wonderful yes. man. Yeah. When I came um, after Mr. Cannon retired, and uh, his follow-on Will Aston yeah, did Aston. A, uh, had to do a replacement of my washers. Um, and I came back a year later for the checkup, and the man I saw, I can't remember his name, really sorry, and I said to him, terribly proudly, you know, I said, I'm a patient of Mr. Cannon's. And he said, I think I've heard that name. Oh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> he was a baby, you know. He was <laughs> you can't believe life no, goes on, you, but it does. Yeah, it does. It, it does. does, no, it really does. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, our oh, Mr. Cannon, and and obviously, when I spoke to him about you, your offer of the Christmas cards, and he was thrilled. And then mm. we showed them to him, and I know he sends them out to everybody on his Christmas list. Oh. He's a great, great fan of your art and your work. So the Christmas cards, um, as I say, they're something that we sell each year in the lead up to Christmas. Um, and if you're interested in in supporting us and supporting Joe and and, and other people with um, sarcoma, obviously that's where the, the money goes back into research and, and helping to improve life for people with sarcoma. Um, you can look on our website, which is skeletalcancertrust.org, um, or you can email me, which is rnoh.sct at nhs.net. So I think we'll go on to talk for for your next song because we have talked so much about this great man who mm. you know of 
there's your husband and then yes. there's Mr. Cannon. Um, so you started off with a song for the first man in your life, which yes. is your husband. And, and we'll finish with a song for the, the second great man in your life, Mr. Cannon. Um, and it is Simply the Best by Tina Turner. That was Simply the Best by Tina Turner. You're listening to the SCT Hour, and this is Radio Broccoli. So, Joe, the Christmas cards that you um, design and, and help us get into production, um, one of the other ways that we found really good for the from the fundraising and selling those um, cards point of view was to actually um, approach other people or wait for offers from other people to sell them on our behalf. So we had, um, for example, the local deli to, to where I live, uh, they took, I think, about 20 packs and sold them in their deli Excellent. shop, which was lovely. Every time I came in to get something, I'd actively <laughs> encourage other people to buy them. Um, we also had a, a lady who has a country shop selling all sorts of, of things you would need to live in the country. Um, and she took quite a number of, of boxes for us, didn't she, and sold yes. them, which was fantastic. You had um, your hairdresser. My hairdresser. I made a shoebox look very pretty. And um, she sold 16 packs just from a, a shoebox, which is amazing. Yeah. Lots of little venues like That's that are really it. really helpful we had a local pub um yeah. actually put them on their christmas tree and made them part oh, of their sweet. christmas tree decorations um so people could come and take yeah. them off and buy them there um and other village shops really yeah idea. village shops sold them for us as well my um, physio your physio yeah i think your idea made me go and take some to my hairdresser and okay. she sold some okay. as well um, and also we had some a couple of coffee mornings where, you know, we invited people round just for a nice coffee and a, a right. conversation. Well, um, and they weren't allowed to leave until they bought some. <laughs> um, uh, as well as selling them around the hospital and then the hospital shop here. So it, it was just such a, you know, it, it, the whole process has been really enjoyable from, you know, getting you getting in touch and, and seeing your wonderful art to producing them, getting them arrived in the big UPS mm. truck, taking them out to our contacts. And it, it's been really fun. I really yeah. can't thank you enough for, oh, for that. It's been a pleasure. Um, and also the free lunch that I got at your house <laughs> with your lovely husband was also very nice. Um, so I'm ju it just uh, comes to me as we've talked about your art so much that people listening might actually want to see some of it or you know, just see okay. what we're talking about as yeah. we're we're um, as they're listening to this. So, how can people see see what you've done? Um, they can look me up on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Joe Buonaguidi Paintings, on Facebook. On Facebook, and we'll put a link to that on the radiobroccoli.org okay. website, um, okay. and certainly on the skeletalcancertrust.org okay. website. And I think we'll put some of your paintings if you've got some pictures yeah, we can put sure. on there as well yeah um but I really you know when I came to visit your lovely home and thank you that was a lovely afternoon I got to see some of your paintings and they are really beautiful <laughs> um I did think I could get a few off the wall and run with them but it was a cold day I didn't. <laughs> um so thank you again for sharing that story with us um, and thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. It's been so interesting to hear about your your journey and you know where you are 
now and it was such a long time ago and how positive you are and and thank you for for raising awareness uh, about you know your diagnosis and how great and full a life you've had after all of that as well so I think I'm hoping that will be inspiring to people it certainly is to me um so thank you so much it's a pleasure thank you you know that day was the worst day of my life but my leg has brought me so many beautiful things into my life beautiful people and yeah it's been a a big part of my life but a brilliant part of my life and that's really important isn't it to be able to take the positive and be thankful for Mm. a situation that could have been you know could have really sort of dragged you down and 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 you managed to find a way it's not good when your children are young and you're sick but I think sometimes it's worse for the people around you I hear that a lot yes I do hear that a lot you just go through it you have to go through it and they have to pick up the bits Mm. really Oh, well, you are a wonderful (laughs) woman. Thank you very much. It's lovely to have got to know you better. And I'm I'm sure we've lots to do together. So thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. You're at your best when you're up and dressed. Dear patient, take part in the On The Men programme. Why mend? M is for medicines, E for exercise, N for nutrition and D for daily activity. Accelerate your recovery in hospital with medicines, exercise, nutrition and daily activity. Remember, you're at your best when you're up and dressed. Start your daily tracker immediately after surgery and take control of your progress towards recovery. Hospital staff are here to help you to help yourself. Find your daily tracker on page 10 of the On The Mend Patient Guide and remember... You're at your best when you're up and dressed. Broadcasting to the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital in Stanmore. This is Radio Broccoli. So a big thank you again to Jo for coming in and talking to us about her experience um, and just getting to hear about her journey and how she got into her art and then how that art has actually come around to support SCT through the Christmas cards that she makes um, and designs for us, um, which then goes on to help other people in a similar situation. Um, so it, it's been really interesting for, for me to listen to that, to that interview. You're listening to the SCT Hour um, and for those of you tuning in, it, it, the SCT charity, Skeletal Cancer Trust, is a charity based here at the RNOH. We have uh, a, a whole programme of work from research uh, into to how to uh, better di- diagnose and treat sarcoma, um, as well as surgical procedures and interventions and um, how we can make that safer for patients and, and, and outcomes better, how we can better uh, enable people to live a full and able life after their surgery. Um, it's, it's dedicated to the advancement of sarcoma research, um, both in the scientific field, but also to improve the care and quality of life for all patients with sarcoma. It's a very small charity. We rely entirely on donations. So if you are interested in in getting in touch to sign up to our newsletter to find out more about what we do, you can sign up uh, by emailing me, that's Sarah, and the email address is rnoh.sct at nhs.org.
www.thepodcastmaker.net. There are a number of ways you can get involved to support us, obviously buying the Christmas cards, but also you can uh, take part in the Thames Bridges Trek, uh, which happens in September. And there's the London Landmarks Half Marathon that takes place every, every March. Any way that you can support us is greatly appreciated, so please do get in touch. I just want to take a moment also to thank our surgeons um, and health professionals here who are on the board of our trustees. So that's Mr. Aston, Mr. Pollock, Mr. Durand, Mr. Gickass, Prof. Skinner and Julie Woodford. And thank you for all the work they do to support us. They, they really help us to do such great things. So now we're going to have our final track and it's Phil Collins, Another Day in Paradise. <laughs>